0: Good morning, church. Again, it's great to be here and to be worshiping our risen Savior with you. I'm so glad I wouldn't be anywhere else this morning, and I hope you feel the same way. Uh, We're continuing our sermon series on Moses and what we can learn in our lives from the life of Moses this life of a man who was a murderer, and yet God called him to liber, liberate and deliver the people of Israel. One thing I've noticed in my observation of the human condition is that we tend to allow things to ensnare us and to enslave us, both physical and emotional and spiritual. When I was preparing for this message, I was curious to see how many people were still in actual physical slavery today, and would you believe it? 20 to 30 million people are still enslaved physically by other people today. That shocks me to the core. And if that isn't a rallying cry for the church, I don't know what is. So may we be a people that pray about what we can do to help people who are still physically enslaved today. But we let all sorts of things enslave us. I had a prop up here. I don't know who took it. It was my big gulp. <laughs> oh, it got moved over here. Um, but anyways, that big gulp, that diet Dr. Pepper, otherwise known as nectar from the gods for me... <laughs> Uh, is definitely something that I give too much of my life and energy to. Yeah, here we go. Here's a polar, you know. And I know I'm not the only one, amen. Uh, But we enslave ourselves to good things, even things like family or work. You know, these are things that we deserve our attention, but if we put them before God, they can ensnare us and enslave us. And it's also summer turning to fall, and so many of us, like myself, are going to be spending a lot of Saturday mornings and Sunday afternoons watching football, right? And I know for myself that I probably care way too much about my teams. in fact, it would be really nice if people were as excited on Sunday mornings as they were on Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons watching their college team. But anyways, I digress. But I am obsessed with the Dallas Cowboys, and on Thursday, yeah, we can whoop at that too, on Thursday, they had a preseason game, and of course, I've got to watch it because I have to know, you know, if this fifth-string quarterback is going to make the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> but I was in Salado, and they only had local television, and they didn't have the game on, and so I actually found it in Spanish, <laughs> and I don't know who these Dallas Vaqueros are, but I'm a fan. But you can find me every Sunday during the fall, probably giving too much of my energy and attention to the Cowboys. But there are things that are in your life that are the same thing, but there are also things that are not healthy for us that we find ourselves enslaved to. Violence, hate, sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol. I recently caught up with a former student of mine, and he was a really good kid, and But somehow he got kind of caught up in drugs and it completely changed the path of his life. It enslaved him, it ensnared him, and he needed deliverance. And my hunch is that you know there are things in your life that you have allowed to ensnare and enslave you. And if so, this message this morning is for you because the story of the Exodus is good news. It's very good news. Because there's a story about how God... When the people of God are enslaved, whether that physical or emotional or spiritual, that God is a God who shouts, let my people go, and sends a Moses into our lives so that we can be liberated. Last week, we left Moses, and he was at the burning bush, and he had just, grudgingly, accepted a call to go by God to save the people of Israel after he'd given a long list of excuses. And so we pick up the story, and this week he goes with his brother Aaron, and he goes to Pharaoh, which is terrifying in itself, and he says, hey, uh, Pharaoh, could you let these Hebrew people go worship on this mountain? And it's kind of almost implied, and and maybe this is David's subtext here, but it's kind of like, hey, you know, Pharaoh, if maybe kind of you don't mind too much, could you please possibly... Let these people go worship. And of course, Pharaoh's like, no, they're my slaves. I'm not going to do this. And in fact, actually impresses the Hebrew people even more. And so then the, the Hebrew people are gripping at Moses and Aaron. It's like, why did you do this? We were okay before, and now things are worse. And so Moses wants to quit, and he kind of goes to God and like, hey, God, this whole deliverance thing isn't working. And God is like, no, you got to go back. Don't worry, I have a plan. you got to go back. It's not over yet. And so then we have these series of things that happen. And it first starts with Moses throwing his staff on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And then Pharaoh's advisors throw their staffs on the ground, and Moses' staff snake eats their staff snake. It's a really odd, interesting story. And then we begin to see what are the ten plagues of Egypt. And what's really interesting about these plagues is not only are they signs of God's power and God's ability to save us when we are enslaved, they directly attack both the way of life of the Egyptians and their own quote-unquote gods. Like the first one is the waters of the Nile turned to blood. Now, the Nile was the lifeblood of the Egyptian people. It's how they traveled. It provided sustenance for their crops. It was... The most important thing to them. But God sends, turns the water to blood, and he sends frogs, and he sends insects, and he has boils on their skin, and he attacks the livestock. There's hail, and there's fire, darkness, and then the firstborn son. What's really interesting is three of these plagues directly go against some of the Egyptian gods. The first one, the one of frogs, there was a, an Egyptian goddess who was the likeness of a frog. And so God sends frogs to the land. There's another one um, that attacks the livestock. And Hathor was a goddess of Egypt who had the form of cow. And then, of course, darkness. Now, Ramses actually could be called Ra-Moses. And we learned last week that the word Moses means son of. So his name literally means son of Ra, and Ra was the sun god. And here was Moses bringing in Yahweh, who makes it go dark for three days. So you can see that Yahweh is directly opposing the, the Egyptian gods in these, um, in these plagues. And, and God is directly opposing their way of life. And then we get to where we are today in Scripture, which is Exodus chapter 12. And it's the final plague, and this is the plague of the, the firstborn son, and this is what it says. Right before this, God tells the people through Moses that they are to take the sacrifice of a lamb and put lamb's blood on the doorpost above their door so that the angel of God will pass over them and they won't be attacked by the angel of God. But of course, the Egyptians don't know, and so this is what happens. Starting with verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the first offspring in the land of Egypt from the oldest child of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the oldest child of the prisoner in jail and all the offspring of of the animals. When Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got caught up that night, a terrible cry rang out across Egypt because every house had someone who had died. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and that night said, get up. Get away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you said. You can even take your flocks and your herds as you asked. Just go, but bring a blessing on me as well. And if this sounds awful, a plague that killed all the firstborn children, of course it is. And it's terrible. And yet again, it's kind of juxtaposed against the Egyptians killing all the male Hebrew children. They're being judged for their actions. And finally, Pharaoh lets them go. But then it says that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And this is kind of an interesting thing because it almost sounds like God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and it makes Pharaoh change his mind. And so he sends his armies after the Hebrew people. And we get along the banks of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, depending on who you talk to. And you have the Hebrew people against the river, and you have the the most powerful army in the world of the time, and they're facing down off of each other. And again, the people turned to Moses and said, did you just bring us out here to die? And yet God is going to use, God is going to use Pharaoh's strongest resource, his army, as a way to punish him as well. And so, of course, Moses puts his staff in the ground, the water's part, and the Hebrew people cross over on dry land, and then the Pharaoh's army tries to come, and the waters come and defeats and destroys the Pharaoh's army. Now, this story tells us and shows us that when God's people are enslaved to whatever that might be, and they cry out to God, that God hears, and God responds, and God sends an instrument of salvation and that when we are faced with an enemy army is in front of us, that God will fight our battles for us. So I don't know for you what it is that you're enslaved to. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're wrestling in. But I know every single one of us wrestles with things that we have given our life to, that we have allowed to enslave us, that we have allowed to give too much purchase in our lives. N.T. Wright talks about how All of us have idols in our lives. And that idol worship is actually the root of all of our problems, the root of sin. That sin is the symptom, but idol worship is the problem. And what he calls idol worship is when we worship something that is material rather than what is immaterial, what is God, what is more than this world. So back then, they worshipped idols of wood and stone, but we worship different idols, don't we? In fact, one uh, author John Stone Street, who's the president of Chuck Colson Center, says that sex, self, state, science, and stuff are our five gods that we give our worship to. And when we worship other things than God, we find ourselves separated from God. And that's when we need to cry out, because when you have allowed yourself to become enslaved or ensnared to something, you cannot get out of that problem on your own. Just like enslaved people, there is no way that the Hebrew people could have saved themselves from Pharaoh. So what do we do? First, we cry out to God, just like they did. We cry out to God and say, God, deliver me. Whatever it is, whatever you have allowed to enslave yourself, deliver me. And then we have to know that God is going to send a Moses. God is going to send someone. Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a counselor. And God is going to send someone, and we have to accept their help. The people of God had to get up and leave. They had to get up and leave Egypt. And the same thing, whatever we find ourselves enslaved to, when we receive that help from God, we have to be willing to get up and leave and accept that help in whatever form it may come. And then we have to let God fight our battles for us. We have to come alongside God and say, God, we cannot win this battle alone. We need you, God. Whatever that might be for you, whatever you have allowed yourself to enslave yourself, if it's drink, if it's drugs, if it's sex, if it's pornography, if it's greed, if it's violence, if it's a desire for revenge, if it's a desire for recreation, if it's just Netflix all the time, 24-7, God will deliver you if you ask. I read a really interesting article. I was browsing through Twitter, because, you know, social media, um, which can be another thing that we enslave ourselves to. But I was browsing through Twitter, and I came across this awesome article yesterday. And it was about this man named Ken. um, His name is not important. His name's Ken. Um, (laughs) Anyways, his name is Ken, and he was involved in the KKK for six years, was actually a grand dragon of the KKK, which means he was one of the leaders. And he was involved in that Charlottesville rally that was about a year ago. And during that rally, he got a heat exhaustion, and this black woman, Dia, Dia, helped him and gave him water, and he started, it started to change something within him. And all of a sudden, he started to see people differently. And then the next thing he knew, he was at his apartment complex, and there was this black man named William McKinnon III, who, by the way, was a pastor, but he didn't know that. Ken didn't know that. And he was doing a cookout. He was doing a cookout. And so this man, Ken, starts having a conversation and starts talking to him. And before you know it, he's going to church with him, a black church, a member of the KKK going to a black church, a grand dragon of the KKK going to a black church. God can deliver us. And soon he was giving a testimony to that church, and then Fairly recently, he gave up his red, his uh, KKK robes and took on robes of white as he was baptized in the Atlantic. God can deliver us. God will deliver us. God will send to Moses if you cry out. God will deliver you from whatever you have allowed yourself to ensnare yourself to. And now, church, there's one more piece to this. Now that we're talking about not just where we are enslaved, but when we see others who are enslaved, that we have to answer the call. God is calling us as the church in our communities to be like that pastor. Do you know that 70% of people when invited to church will say yes and come at least one time? Did you know that? There are people in your lives, in your neighborhood, in your communities, at work, at school, your friends who need you. They're crying out to God. They're saying, deliver me. And God has heard their cry and God is looking at you and saying, go. Now I am sending you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.